Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. Now, that they may be one, um, one of the things that we're trying to do in this series is rather than starting with our relationship status, because we all have a status, right? We have married, dating, single, divorced, all of us have a status. But rather than starting with that status, we're exploring the principles that God has for relationship that then we can apply to our different statuses. Is that how you say it? Statuses? Because we're all in different places, but God's principles are timeless and they're alive. And so wherever we're at, we can apply those to where we're at. And today we're going to talk about how we heal from hurt. How we heal from hurt. Because if you know people, you've been hurt by people. If you know someone, if you know another human being, you've been hurt by them at some point. It's just the way things work. Uh, yesterday, uh, one of my children brought me a present, and I opened the present, and it was a box, and inside the box was $2. And I thought, this is the sweetest thing. Thank you so much for this $2. But Daddy, you know, this is your money, sweetheart. I'm going to give this back to you. By the way, um, Daddy, or why are you giving Daddy $2? And my child looked at me and said, well, because you're poor. <laughs> and she said it with a little bit of a smirk on her face, but I felt like Rodney Dangerfield, you know, that guy who's like, I get no respect around here. I thought I can't even get a gift without it being a backhanded compliment. And the truth is, if we're in relationship with people, we can't help but feel those little slights, right, where someone just makes that offhand comment. But oftentimes it goes much deeper than that. It, it, sometimes in relationship with each other, we just get worn out by each other. We run emotionally out of gas. Like, I don't have any more to give in this area. But even deeper than that, there can be times when the hurt isn't just something minor or even funny, when it's not just that emotionally we're out of gas, it's that someone hurts us so bad that it alters our life forever. And, and as we talk about healing from hurt, all of those things are on the table, whether it's the little things or it's the life-altering things. Thankfully, as we look at God's word, God's word doesn't shy away from really hard things. In fact, there's a story in the book of Genesis about a man named Joseph. And in that story, he's whose life is dramatically altered by someone hurting him. Now, now Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. And he was kind of known for giving slights to all his other brothers about how he was the best brother or the most favorite brother. And they got to the point where they were just tired of hearing it from him. So they threw him in a pit. They told their father that he had died. They sold Joseph into slavery. He was taken and taken by slave traders to Egypt. And he was sold there in Egypt. Now, Joseph had a lot of skills he was a great administrator. And so in the house of this guy named Potiphar, Potiphar recognizes all his gifts, and he begins to put Joseph in charge of more and more things. And things are going really well for Joseph until Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him. And Joseph, being a man of integrity, says, I will not hurt my boss by sleeping with his wife. So Joseph runs away. Potiphar's wife, she's angry. 
So what does she do? She lies to Potiphar and says, Joseph made a pass at me when the exact opposite was true. And Potiphar's such a man of power that he takes Joseph and he throws him in the jail. And Joseph goes in the jail. And again, Joseph's a man with some great gifts. So he becomes an administrator in the jail and he helps people out. And one guy says, listen, when I get out, I'm not gonna forget about you. Except he gets out and he forgets about Joseph and Joseph's rotting in prison. Until one day, the guy remembers. He remembers that there's this guy named Joseph. And he gets Joseph to come to where he works. And where he works is for Pharaoh, the ruler of the land. And Joseph finds himself in the king's court. And of course, Pharaoh sees the gifts that Joseph has and puts Joseph in charge. And Joseph saves Egypt and the surrounding nations from a famine. Joseph's such a good administrator that he comes up with a plan in order to save the known world from starving. And then his brothers show back up decades later, the ones who threw him in the pit and lied about it, the ones who altered his life forever. They show up and they say, hey, we need food. And they don't realize they're talking to until Joseph reveals himself to them. And what's amazing about Joseph's interactions with him is they're marked not by his hurt, not by his anger, not by a desire for revenge against his brothers, but rather marked by forgiveness. They're marked by forgiveness. Joseph provides for his brothers in the midst of famine. But then Joseph's dad, dies. his brother's dad dies and the brothers think, oh no, the tables have turned. Joseph forgave us just because he wanted to please dad. But now that dad is dead, he's going to take revenge on us. Just like we altered his life for the worse, now he will do that for us. He might even kill our children now that dad is dead. That's where we jump in the story. Genesis 50, chapter, chapter 50, verses 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph, please forgive your brothers transgression and their sin and the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him, bound down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. I will take care of you. Sorry, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present results the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The word of God. Are you in the process of healing from hurt? Where are you in the places that you're hurt in your life? Where are you in the process of healing? Every one of us has places in our lives 
we've been hurt and we need to heal. And as we look at the story from Joseph, we see three different principles that help us heal from hurt. We, we see how to deal with hurt. We see how to grow around hurt. And we see how to worship through hurt. Let's start off with dealing with hurt. Now, a lot of times, you know that your friend's dealing with some pain. And so you try to reach out to them and you say, how's it going with that place in your life, with that hurt, with that place of forgiveness that you need to offer someone else? And your friend might say to you, I'm dealing with it, which means I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And maybe you said that to someone else. But what happens oftentimes is when we've been hurt by someone else, we stuff it down and we pretend that it didn't happen. That's not a Christian attitude towards pain. That's not what Jesus commands when we've been hurt. God helps us deal with hurt. But the first part of dealing with something that's hurt you by someone who has hurt you is to name it. It's to name what's happened to you. In verse 20, Joseph pulls no punches when he says this to his brothers, you planned what? Evil against me. When you tried to murder me, you threw me in a pit, you enslaved me, you lied to our dad, it was evil. Joseph names the hurt. Joseph doesn't hide it, he doesn't stuff it, he doesn't bury it, he doesn't ignore it, he names it. That's really the first step to healing from hurt, whether that hurt is a little slight or that hurt is life-altering. The first step in healing from hurt is to deal with it, and you deal with it by naming it. The poet Dana Goya says, to name is to know and remember. And one of the reasons that we don't want to name it is because we pretend we don't want to know it, and we certainly don't want to remember the hurt. Now that can be because it's just so painful, but it can also be because there's two sides to every story. And if someone hurts you, it's possible that you hurt them. And it's easier just to avoid it and not name it rather than sorting through it on who did what and who did it when. Joseph though, and his brothers, the weight's heavy on the brother's side of what they've done to him. And Joseph isn't afraid to name it. They've planned evil against him. They've altered his life. But why does Joseph say it? Why is he not afraid to name it? Is it so he can repay them with revenge or so that he can forgive them? The second step to dealing with hurt after you name it is to forgive the ones who have hurt you. It's to forgive the ones who have hurt you. Now, that's not normal in our world, and Joseph's brothers know that. In verse 15, they say this, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. They realize that their actions against Joseph were like a chain of dominoes that altered Joseph's life so that he suffered unjustly for decades. And they see they see what they've done. And so they think it's just the way the world works. If we did this to our brother, then certainly he will repay us for what we did to him. At the very least, he's going to throw it in our face. 
if he's normal like everyone else, he'll ruin our future just like we ruined him in the past. But Joseph doesn't do that. In verse 19 and 21, Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Then he says it again a few verses later. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Man, uh, Joseph, in the midst of the grand moment, this is like, if this were a movie, this would be the height of the movie where he could enact revenge and we would all clap and applaud. But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph is so concerned for them that twice he tells them, hey, don't be afraid. I know I could hurt you, but I'm not going to hurt you. I know I could wipe out your family and everyone in Egypt would think I had the right to do that when they hear the story, but I'm not going to take out your family. In fact, I'm going to care for them. I'm going to provide for your future. And Joseph's able to say this and he's able to act on this because Joseph has forgiven them. Truly, deeply from the heart, he is not going to make them repay him for what they've done. A lot of times in relationships, we feel that someone else owes us something. Now that's really obvious if someone has altered your life for the worse, but it's less obvious in the day-to-day interactions, like when someone gives you a little slight. But oftentimes we put that in our back pocket and we wait for an instance when they mess up and then we pull it out and we slap that trump card down on the table. That's not forgiveness. That's repayment. And oftentimes that happens in relationships. Oftentimes that happens in marriage when, hey, you said you were going to, and you failed to do this, so I don't have to do this. But that's not marriage. That's a contractual way of looking at relationships. And our relationships as the body of Christ, our relationships in marriage are covenantal, which means that we are all in all of the time. So when, even when someone fails you, it's not an opportunity for you to back down. It's an opportunity for you to forgive and move closer. In fact, if you're married or you want to be married, marriage is an obligation to forgive. You're committing yourself to one person and saying, I will forgive this person for the rest of my life, every day. And they will forgive me. Because we fall short so often. But part of the problem is that we get so confused about what forgiveness is. Is forgiveness an inner feeling? Is it like a heart attitude? Or or is forgiveness an outer action? Is it like something you actually do in the real world? And the answer is, it's both. It's both. Now, in this story, Joseph does the actions, He says, I will take care of you and your family. I will not enact revenge. But it also shows that there's a feeling behind it. So often you and I don't do the actions of forgiveness because we get trapped in the feelings of unforgiveness. We get trapped in the feelings of unforgiveness. One of those traps is I can forgive them as long as they see how bad they hurt me. That is a trap. Because no one knows how badly you've been hurt but you. Because no one else is you. 
So if you need someone to see how badly they've hurt you in order to forgive them, you're not really forgiving them. Now, is it helpful if someone says, I see your pain, I see what I've I've done? Absolutely. That's what Joseph's brothers do. But at the same time, it can be a trap. It can be a way of making someone repay their evil against you when you say, you have to understand exactly what you've done in order for me to forgive. And the truth is, you're just bound more and more to whether that person sees it or not. One of the things that we always say is, we, we, all of us would say, forgiveness is important. I think we should forgive. But when it comes down to the reality of actually forgiving, we're a little more hesitant. We're a little more hesitant because it's hard in our hearts to forgive. One of my seminary professors, Anthony Bradley, said it this way. He said, pain trumps theology. And what he meant by that is all of us believe that we should forgive We believe in a God who forgives, but when our hearts hurt, it becomes very hard to live that out. Pain trumps theology. Our belief is eclipsed by the hurt, and we try and make the world fit around our pain. Now, we live in a world right now where there are a lot of people who are truly hurt and truly oppressed and truly put under the thumb of other people. We also live in a world that celebrates victimhood. Both of those things are true at the exact same time. And so you have people who are measuring out their victimhood against each other. And the challenge in that is what we value more than forgiveness is who is suffering more. Who is suffering more? And rather than practicing forgiveness, we run to social media and we try and get somebody canceled rather than trying to forgive one another. Also, we value our wounds. In our culture, we are learning the language of therapy, which is so important. Uh, I think I said last week that both my dad and my wife are therapists, so I get free therapy all the time. Therapy is important. But one of the things that, that therapy should do for us is that it should grow us so that our wounds aren't our primary identity. But we live in a world that celebrates woundedness on some level. And what happens is if you let your wounds fester in unforgiveness, they will become who you are. They will become your identity. Tim and Kathy Keller said it this way in their book on marriage. Woundedness is compounded self-doubt and guilt, resentment and disillusionment. We come to one another in marriage with these things in our background. And when the inevitable conflict occurs, our memories can sabotage us. They can prevent us from doing the normal day-to-day work of repentance and forgiveness and extending the grace that is so crucial to making progress in our marriages. The reason is that woundedness makes us self-absorbed. That is not hard to see in others, of course, When you begin to talk to wounded people, it is not long before they begin talking about themselves. They're so engrossed in their pain and problems that they don't realize what they look like to others. They are not sensitive to the needs of others. They don't pick up the cues of those who are hurting. Or if they do, they only do so in a self-involved way. We are always, always the last to see our self-absorption. 
Now hear what he's saying and what he's not saying. He's not saying wounds are bad. He's saying that if we don't deal with our wounds, it will make us worse than we were before. And and it's so hard even for us to see our own wounds because our wounds, if we're not willing to forgive, they will push us further in on ourselves. I remember when I got engaged to Virginia and I called everybody and said, hey, I'm getting married. We're engaged. And I called one particular friend and I said, Virginia and I are engaged. And, And he was a single guy. And he was kind of mad about being single. And the first thing he said to me when I said, guess what, we're engaged, was, I can't believe it. I'm so tired of everyone getting engaged. And I said, well, I'm so glad you're willing to celebrate with me. But you see, that it was his woundedness, right? It was his woundedness that was spilling out. Now, I'm sure somewhere in the background there, there was some forgiveness that had not happened. And I know that there was more than just that, but it was not less than that. And the the truth was, I could see his woundedness before he could ever see his own. We're the last to see our woundedness. And one of the benefits of being married is you'll meet someone and you'll marry someone and they'll be able to see your wounds and your self-absorption better than you can. There are times when my wife is gracious to me and she knows that some of the fights that we get into, the conflict that we have, is not really about the conflict. It's about something behind the conflict and maybe something that both of us are dealing with from our past. And it is in those moments that we learn to forgive one another. We learn to help each other see our own wounds and then forgive. Because as Christians, that's really what this is all about. Forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, Paul tells the church in Ephesus, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. How? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. How did God forgive you of your sins? Freely, fully, without reservation. God has forgiven all of your sins in Christ. And as we realize that, and as we let that get into our wounded hearts, it changes the way we look at those people who have hurt us because we realize we have hurt God and yet he has fully forgiven us. And when you let that into your heart on a deep level, it changes how you view the people who have hurt you. You actually begin to see them with more compassion and love because you realize you don't deserve that from God, but he looks at you with compassion and love. One of the places, if you're struggling to give, one of the places you can start to work forgiveness in your heart is just by praying for someone, praying for someone who hurt you. And I know that's hard, but it gets easier the more you get down on your knees and the more you say, dear God, please help. I think as you do that, your heart actually softens to that person. And you begin to realize that they might not deserve your prayers, but that's the whole point of forgiveness. You're not giving people what they deserve because you're forgiving. So if you have someone in your life that you're struggling to forgive, carve out some time to pray for them, asking that God would help you forgive them just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And your emotions will begin to change. One of the things that's so surprising to me about this story is Joseph's emotional reservoir that he has for his brothers. In in verse 17, it says that 
Uh, Joseph, there they're in. Joseph wept when their message came to him. Now, here's the interesting thing. If we read into the story, our first thought is, oh, Joseph's weeping because finally they get it. They get how bad they've hurt him. But I don't think that's what it is. If you go five chapters earlier, like Joseph already had that cry. When he first saw them, he cried when he saw them and he offered forgiveness. Joseph has been living in the freedom of forgiveness so much so that when he hears that his brothers are scared for their life, he weeps. Not because they finally get his pain, but because he cares how much pain they are in. It moves him that much that his brothers are so scared that he cries, not tears against them, but tears for them. Dear God, I cannot believe my brothers are living in that much fear. Now that's forgiveness. That is full and free forgiveness when you have an emotional reservoir to give to someone who has hurt you. And that can only happen as we grow around hurt. Hurt doesn't just go away. It doesn't doesn't leave your memory. You just learn how to grow around it. And we grow around it by, first of all, seeing God in the midst of our hurt. In verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, God planned it for good. You guys did evil against me, but that was not outside of the plan of God. God used the way that you changed my life for the worse to actually bring about things for the better. God used your evil for good. Now, that's hard, and that makes us wrestle. But here's the thing that we take away. Joseph, the biggest thing in his life wasn't that he saw the way they sinned against him. Rather, it was how he saw that God had used their sin for something so much greater. And as you hold on to that reality, it helps you grow. Not so that the hurt just goes away, but so that you have a future despite how someone has hurt you in the past. So often we just want others to see our pain that we forget to see God as a redeemer in the midst of our pain. See, Joseph really has a freedom to pursue God's story in the midst of the mess that someone else has made with his life. He doesn't have to get back to a certain place. He doesn't have to have them have a certain understanding. He believes that God is at work. And because of that, he's able to grow around the pain and the hurt. What would it look like for you to think about that in a big way in your life or even in a little way? Maybe the fights that you get in with your spouse are really opportunities for you both to grow. It takes a certain maturity to step back from a conflict and see the other person and not just how the other person is hurting you. But the quicker that you're able to do that and learn how to do that in marriage, the more you will both grow around the hurt, which will help you eventually see others, see your spouse, see your friends. See, here's the thing. If you go back and read the beginning of the story, Joseph is a brat. He's a brat. He is like, you know, we kind of look at the story and we go, how dare those brothers throw him in the pit and like, you know, threaten his life. But I want you to imagine for a minute that there was someone in the church 
who um, was kind of the same way. Like they always came up to you and talked about how they had more money than you. Or they came up to you and just talked about how in shape they were over and over again. Or they came up to you and talked about how, how their house was well manicured or, or how their family was more put together than yours. After about a month of that, you might be like, let's kill them. Let's do it. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Joseph is so self-absorbed in the beginning of the story. But as he's grown, as he's, even as he's grown through the pain, you notice that he's not self-absorbed anymore. He's not talking about himself. He's not talking about his big plans. Rather, he's talking about God's plans. He's talking about others' pain. God has matured him and grown him in the midst of the suffering that was so unfair and so unjust. God has used it. And now Joseph is completely different and he actually sees other people. He's not a self-absorbed brat. He's grown to where he can love. And that's really what we're called to. Even some of the challenges that you're going through with people in relationships or some of the, the challenges that you have in your marriage, God is using that to grow you towards love. 1 Corinthians 13, we read it at all, all of our weddings, right? But it's a high calling. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-sinking. It's not irritable and does not keep a record of wrong. Love finds no joy, next slide, in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You see, even in the midst of our hurts, even in the midst of our trauma, even in the midst of the worst things that have happened in our life based on what other people have done to us, God is still trying to grow us so that we understand what love is and we can love others in forgiveness. And the reason we can do this is because of who he is. Really at the center of this story, it's not first and, for, forgive, first and foremost forgiveness. Really, it's that Joseph is a worshiper of God. The last thing in our story is that Joseph has learned how to worship through the hurt. Throughout the story of Joseph, we keep seeing this, this theme. The author says over and over again, and God was with Joseph. And we're like, well, pain's with Joseph, suffering's with Joseph. But the author reminds us throughout the whole story of Joseph's suffering that God is with him. And Joseph knows this. And so when he has the moment of revenge, he's so aware of God that he would never take the place of God by getting revenge against his brothers. In fact, that's what he says in verse 19. Am I in the place of God? That is to say the center of this story is not the sin that's been done against him. The center of the story is who God is and what he's doing in this really broken situation. And so for you and I, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that God is the ultimate judge. The Bible tells us not to get revenge because revenge is the Lord's. But at the same time, it reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. 
Because when people hurt us, we might be tempted to say, I will get them, but we shouldn't get them back because we're not in the place of God and also because Jesus took your place on the cross. The judgment that you deserve for the sins, the evil, the hurt that you've done toward God has not been exacted against you. Rather, it's been poured out on Christ. Jesus willingly went to the cross knowing what foolish people, knowing what sinful idiots we are. Jesus willingly went and paid the price for our sin so that you and I could be fully forgiven and then offer forgiveness, whether it is the smallest slight or whether it is the biggest life-altering event. Because Jesus' life was altered, namely that he went from life to death so that by defeating sin and death, he could come back to life and offer us a new way to live. Not a way where we exact revenge against each other, not a way where we look to be paid back for everything wrong done against us, but rather a way in which we freely forgive others. Now, I recognize as we do, as we, uh, as we talk about a topic like this, that it's just hard. It's just hard. Because forgiveness is always on the table all day. Every relationship we have, every time someone cuts us off, every time we're disappointed by someone else, every time our spouse brings up something that hurts us, forgiveness is on the table. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's Word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.